Welcome to this very first production of Digging Out. It's October 5th, 2020. My first guest for this program today could not be better poised to lead off with this heady charge. Randy Leos, Director of Better Angels California, a nationwide organization focused on reducing political polarization. As coordinator for Southern California, he leads a team of 60 volunteers plugging away at all points between San Diego and Paso Robles and writes regular columns for The Conversation, Better Angels media site, and occasionally appearing on the Better Angels podcast. He's also the director of online experience at Braver Angels. Randy also does consulting for automotive clients, having had almost 20 year career in the automotive industry. He spent his career doing forecasting and analytics working for brands like Kelly Blue Book and Auto Trader, and in advertising for Ford vehicles. A product of Long Island, New York, Randy Leos completed his economics bachelor's degree at Duke and his master's in business administration at the University of Michigan. Comes to us today from his home in Irvine. Welcome to Digging Out, Randy Leos. Thank you so much, Claudia. It's great to be here. Well, it's good to have you start this because I want us all to start figuring out how we're going to get through what continues to come at us. So it's not meant to be a, a lazy start, a lazy question, but what is a bit about the origin story of Braver Angels? It was better angels. It's now Braver Angels. That And how maybe that change has captured the raised stakes and the raised temperatures in our country. Yeah, certainly. You know, we started as an organization in the wake of the 2016 election uh, when it felt like our country was on the eve of a civic divorce. And so the founders of the organization uh, were included a professor of marriage and family therapy, a fairly prominent one in this country. And he brought some of the techniques from family therapy to this process because you know, we had, you know, pretty much lost the ability to talk to one another. And that's a phenomenon that is also common to families in crisis. So we've definitely been doing a lot of work, making sure that people are able to maintain their relationships and that they see value in those relationships rather than, you know, the value of just winning the argument that they're in. So we, we think it's, it's really important that people understand how to relate to one another uh, in a way that they seem to have lost. And in the intervening years, obviously we've seen it get that much worse. Uh, and now it feels like we're on the verge of a civil war to a lot of people. Um, and so that's very relevant to the North Star of our organization. As you mentioned, we started out as Better Angels, which was a reference to uh, President Lincoln's first inaugural address when he appealed to the better angels of our nature uh, in trying to hold the union together. And now it's, you know, we're, we're seeing violence in the streets and we are seeing this animosity that continues to rise. In fact, recently there was a, a poll that says in the past few years, uh, both sides have become more okay with the use of violence uh, based on political outcomes. Really? Both sides? Both Seriously? Sides. Yeah. 
so uh, 30% of Democrats and 33% of Republicans uh, say that it is uh, that political violence is acceptable if the other side exhibits certain behaviors like trying to quote unquote steal the election. Uh, and both sides certainly do feel like the other, the other side is trying to steal this election. So we are in a, an extremely volatile moment right now when we've just seen trust evaporate between reds and blues and we're doing everything we possibly can think of to alleviate that issue. I'm not sure if it has been adapted a little bit, but looking around with how you've described the program on the website, the point, the features made, there's no hierarchy. That's still a, a feature in the kinds of forms that you're presenting, people, bringing people together? So hierarchy in terms of the types of workshops that we offer? No hierarchy with the dialogues, the workshops that gets people together. It's, it's a term that's actually used on the website. So... Yeah. So we, uh, we, we offer just such a wide variety. Yes, we'll talk about each one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so um, in terms of what people experience first, uh, right okay. now, it's often the debates because we're having these large scale debates uh, about specific issues uh, that is bringing together hundreds of people at a time to have a, a really deliberative process to, to think together about the, the biggest challenges and the biggest issues that we're facing in our country. But um, it's obviously a very different experience than someone has coming to our workshops. And, you know, and the workshops are, they're also available for anyone who would like to join us. We have, we have national workshops every weekend. Uh, and so it, it really depends on what someone's experience is at the moment that you know where they right. might want to start with our with our programs okay and at the broadcast we're taping this on october 5th but on the broadcast october 8th at the time this is being broadcast there is going to be one of your debates uh the for uh, su in support of donald trump and mike pence so there if <laughs> that and then in, in a couple of weeks, three weeks, there will be in defense of Joseph Biden and Kamala Harris. So, um, well, is it fair to say, Randy, that you're trying to get deep breathing in politics? Hmm, that's an interesting way to think about it. Um, we certainly do want people to uh you know have a sense of presence when when they come together and you know when people people's emotions start to boil over you know one of the things that we we tell people in uh in our training workshops so we we train people for various different types of interactions so one of our main uh training workshops is called skills for bridging the divide and that's, of course, skills for talking to people who disagree with you. And when you are trying to express yourself uh, in a situation like that, and you make a, uh, you know, you make a point, uh, we often tell people the importance of pausing and allowing what you've just said to kind of sink in with the other person, giving them a chance to perhaps respond to it in a way where they can verify that they actually understand what you said. And it also just slows down the, uh, the pace of the patient to allow people to kind of collect their, 
their thoughts and, and not rush into uh, the kind of conflict that we often see ourselves in. So uh, in that regard, I'm hoping that it can, we can have a little bit more, you know, deep and, um, and kind of existing with one another uh, side by side in, in a way that is kind of acknowledging of our mutual humanity. And perhaps that's, you know, one thing that, that our breathing is emblematic of. I'll get to that mutual humanity in a specific case study of what we're all grappling with now and a little bit later. Okay. So in one of the sections for braver angels is with malice toward none. And I don't know, do you want to read us the pledge that you want people to sign on to on your website? Sure. I would be happy to. Uh, let me, uh, yeah. So the pledge says, regardless of how the election turns out, I will not hold hate, disdain, or ridicule for those who voted differently from me. Whether I'm pleased or upset about the outcome, I will seek to understand the concerns and aspirations of those who voted differently and will look for opportunities to work with people with whom I disagree. And we think this is just so important. Um, you know, when I mentioned uh, Lincoln's first inaugural address, mm -hmm. This phrase with malice towards none is actually uh, a reference to his second. Uh, so he, he says with malice towards none, uh, with charity for all, um, with, uh, let's see, I, I actually have the entire quote. So the, the quote says, with malice towards none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up the nation's wounds. And that is just such a big part of what we are trying to accomplish with the With Malice Towards None program, because we, we see how deeply this process is, is wounding uh, ourselves, our communities, our relationships. And we think it is just so important that once we are done with this fight, that we gather ourselves up and say, hey, we are still part of the same community. And so for that reason, we're actually working directly with uh, community types in, in our, uh, the places where we live. So we're working with religious communities. We're working with uh, organizations uh, like Rotary and uh, Lions and other uh, civic organizations. We're working with universities and colleges. So- um, And that's all over? I, I'm interested in the demographics. You're, you're in every- Re every state and in most parts of the state, how, how much of the demographic are you capturing, Randy? Yeah, so we are absolutely in, in every state. Um, and we have alliances, local alliances in most states. Uh, I would say that at this point, uh, we are still um, in, a, in an effort to reach out to more rural communities. Uh, we do have most of our strength in more urban and, and suburban environments. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we, we have just really great uh, partnerships with community groups. And, and that's what we're really trying to leverage with, uh, with this effort. And, you know, uh, communities like universities and, um, and these civic groups, uh, you know, tend to have uh, a decent amount of uh, of demographic diversity, especially universities, right? So um, we are, we're very excited to work with, uh, with them. And in the university space, 
we have also uh, have also been very aggressive in terms of working with our debate program because college students absolutely love to engage with one another um, in these specific uh, uh, issues that they care about very deeply. So that's been really popular. We have a, a very specific program that engages uh, college students. So Randy, one party I didn't recognize in the pledge, I didn't see them. What about the people who don't vote at all? Well, because we they, they make a case for not voting and that they need to be in this dialogue yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we do recognize that some of the people who are not going to vote, it's because they have been so alienated by our political environment and mm. the way that we talk to one another that they've essentially just checked out. And when you referenced the name change that we've gone mm -hmm. through, so we're now Braver Angels, and I think that reflects how important we view these conversations. If we stop talking to one another, especially across difference, then we stop understanding how to relate to one another. We stop uh, having the marketplace of ideas that our democracy represents. And, you know, we are poorer for it. So when people start to uh, defriend others because of their political viewpoints, when they start to say, I will no longer countenance the people on the other side because uh, I just don't think that their viewpoint is worth listening to, you know, that actually hurts us uh, tangibly. And so, you know, I, I happen to be a, a progressive myself and, mm -hmm. and I, I make the argument to a lot of my fellow progressives that while, you know, I agree that there are some people who have viewpoints that are, that can be harmful, that for the most part, when we are evaluating whether we should be talking to someone on the other side, it's really about our ability to have that ongoing conversation and to influence one another. And, and if we cut off that contact, then we lose the ability to influence people for the better. And if we want to continue to have that influence, then we also have to be willing to be influenced by other people. So I, I just think that's such an important uh, point to, to really consider. And if you, and of course, you know, if, if you believe that your viewpoint is correct, which we all do, um, and you think that, you know, we shouldn't be giving a platform or we should, or I shouldn't be giving time, I shouldn't be giving my attention to the people who, uh, who disagree with me, well, I think it's important to decide whether we feel strongly enough about an issue that if someone makes an argument that is counter to our own viewpoints, you know, is our, is our, our values and our beliefs strong enough to withstand that? And if they are, then that, that conversation is still absolutely worth having. Randy, I'm really impressed on an anecdotal situation basis that some friends have mentioned in encounters they've had where there's a difference of opinion and my connections have the presence of mind to get into a non-accelerating argument by just saying, oh, well, where, where did you get that? Where, where, you know, they sort of keep it, that's, um, it's a, I guess therapists do that too, right? They, they turn over to you and ask you to unpackage it. So there, there is never, it never, raises the pitch between them, but it, it's just, it's a very disarming way to uh, get at least 
keep the connection because as you're talking about this uh, distancing effect that I, I think you're talking about, and I worry about how this could just ossify entire body politics. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, we clearly see that we are being ensconced in our uh, mutual, in, in our own bubbles, that um, you know, we, we are letting less and less information that disagrees with our worldview into our information bubbles, right? So social media is obviously the most distilled form of that, but it's been building uh, with the atomization of the news media for, for quite a while. And so we are getting these relatively monolithic viewpoints right, uh, because right. that's how they're curated. And, and so when it comes to our personal relationships, what the approach that we advocate for is one of genuine curiosity, of ongoing curiosity. And, and also, especially for the details of someone's personal story, because you know, it, it is absolutely paramount that we connect with people on a, on a personal level and recognize that each of our experiences is completely unique. And uh, you know, one, of the, one of the principles that I always lean on when I'm talking about braver angels is intellectual humility. Yeah, which honesty is, and humility. Yeah, absolutely. Really recognizing that inherent in our humanity is our limited perspective. Uh, we can only know so much about the world and about mm -hmm. uh, other people's experiences in the world. And so we should be continuing to ask questions about when, when we encounter a an opinion that seems so alien to us, well, how did that opinion form? What sorts of experience uh, really contributed to that person's worldview, their perspective? Uh, what sorts of influences uh, in their personal influences, uh, people in their lives? So when we orient the conversation around asking those types of questions, rather than asking questions that will, will what we call gotcha questions, right? Uh, where we have a conclusion in our head and we're asking a rhetorical question to try to push the person that we're talking to towards that conclusion. Um, that's not really productive, right? So we wanna make sure that our questions are genuinely sincere and, and trying to actually add to our knowledge of the world. For those of you who've just tuned in, you're listening to Digging Out. I'm Claudia Shamba, the host of this new program. My guest is Randy Leos, Director of Online Experience and California Director for Braver Angels. So a structural piece here, how realistic is Braver Angels able to bridge this divide? I'm just wondering when, what people's constructs are when they come to these dialogues and workshops and forums. Do they see the bridge as that that pathway to get closer to where I'm positioned with my body politic or is are people trying do more people want to see that they're coming midway and and that there's the challenge that some people will never recognize that because they see things as false equivalencies and they don't think there is a center between two points of view how is that how does that bridge get defined or do you let the participants define what they mean by bridge. And I, I mean that without the slightest whiff of snark there. <laughs> sure. And, and I think there's one principle that is particularly 
Uh, well, there's actually two principles that uh, are particularly important here. Uh, first of all is the assumption that we ask people to bring to every workshop, at least every red-blue workshop where they're interacting across that divide. And that is, assumption is that we are not here to change anyone else's mind. This is about learning about another person's experience, their perspectives. Um, we certainly would like people to find common ground if it exists, uh, but no one is asking anyone to moderate their views. In fact, I, you know, as a progressive, I'm a relatively staunch progressive, and, and that commitment has not wavered at all in my time with Braver Angels. In That's got to take a lot of work. I, I hand it to you, Randy. <laughs> well, so, I, I mean, my, I do feel like my relationships with Reds in the organization, which are some of the strongest relationships that I have, have absolutely added to my understanding of how the world works, my understanding of mm. the, the perspectives of conservatives that I think in this day and age, many progressives are, are just feeling so, uh, so baffled by. Uh, like, how could someone believe the sorts of things that this person believes? And when you genuinely have a searching conversation to, to tease that out, it is, it's kind of amazing the insights that I have been able to get from, from those conversations. And, and so the, I, I wanted to emphasize the other point that we are not an organization necessarily of moderates. Uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of moderates oh, wow. in our but there are a lot of really strong uh, progressives, strong conservatives, uh, you know, that, who, who believe that, you know, their ideology is genuinely better for the country, but at the same time, they don't want to sacrifice their relationships uh, to, in order to advance that ideology. In fact, they, they think that those relationships are what makes you know, it, it possible to communicate that ideology accurately to people who might disagree with it. And, and accurate communication, accurate disagreement is actually a very big part of what we do. Uh, we want to speak in a way that the other side can hear us and not overemphasize our differences, because I think that, that often we get obsessed with the, uh, the, the differences on the margin that make us seem a lot, a lot further away, but, uh, but are really just played up by those who seek to divide us. And amen, what a job they're doing. So I'm wondering if maybe a better metaphor than a bridge is bandwidth. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, we certainly do want to build up. So the data is moving back and forth all the time. The data, including yeah, values, absolutely. shared values, open up the bandwidth and this can take place. Yes, we, we want to uh, foster that flow of communication between the two sides. And so the, I think the bandwidth uh, metaphor is perfectly apt. Um, you know, we have, uh, we are, I, I guess, to extend that metaphor a bit. Okay. We are getting so much, we're getting deluged by so much information in our worlds. And, uh, and we only do have so much bandwidth personally. So therefore we have to curate that. Um, and the way that we do that is, is what's easiest for us to hear. And it's easiest for us to hear things that agree with us. So, um, so as the information availability grows, uh, we are 
able to find more and more information that, that just confirms our biases, confirms our view of the world without really challenging it. You know, at the, at the outset of the internet age, we were so optimistic about the potential for the World Wide Web to bring us together, that we would be connecting with people from all around the world for, with all these different ideologies and all of these different um, demographic backgrounds. And, and it was like, access, yeah. Absolutely, and, and we were so excited about that and, and com were completely blindsided by the, the kind of demon that, that snuck in with the promise of this technology. And, and so now we are, we are stuck just being uh, bombarded by the, the negative side of, of that, you know, those connections, uh, whereas we have left behind the positives. And I think we have to kind of go in the other direction and say, okay, let's get back to that diversity of, of viewpoints that I was so excited about, that diversity of experience that I was excited to engage with. So you were talking about your own connections that you have around the political divide within Braver Angels, Randy. What indications are you getting that you're getting through, that you're gaining traction and you're meeting goals here? Yeah, uh, so one of the major indicators that we're actually moving the needle for people is, yeah. so we do surveys after each one of our, um, our workshops and we ask people, are you, uh, do you feel you're genuinely more able to understand the perspective of someone on the other side? And do you feel you're genuinely able to, to make yourself heard in a way that's easier for the other side to digest? Um, and so these are, you know, we, we have these amazing survey responses that people- And what are, are the answers that they can use? Are they open-ended or is it the, a, a numeric value or what, how we, would that be set do, up? We actually do both things. We okay. make them on a, on a numeric scale and in general, the, the reactions to these questions are at least seven or eight out of 10 wow. uh, in terms of their, uh, their ability to, to feel heard um, and, to, and to hear uh, the viewpoints of others. But we also say, you know, what, what was the biggest uh, thing that you took out of this experience? Um, and the, often what people talk about is that they did not realize how much that they they share in common with people on the other side. And so when I moderate a workshop uh, myself, I, I, I moderate uh, several workshops per month. And uh, we started wow. to roll out the online versions of, of all of our workshops. Uh, recently, we've, we've started to roll out the red-blue workshops once again, because those mm -hmm. are the most challenging. And when I've had the experience of moderating those, it continues to be that people say that we're, we're closer than we thought. They also conclude that there is more ideological diversity on their own side than they had realized. Um, so people were, were making these- That's fascinating. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Assumptions that, that about, them, about their own side and the other side that were just you know, way off. So Randy, I'm really curious, what are you doing to work around the pandemic constraints, getting people together with physical distancing? This must make your work a lot harder. Well, it, it certainly did for uh, the first several months. And actually the reason that I took the, uh, the position of director of online experience is because 
we recognized at that point that it was going to be a while before we could actually get together in person again. So we realized that um, in order to deal with this situation and to be able to set ourselves up for future growth, we thought it was so important that we use the amazing online tools that are now available to bring people face to face from around the country and, uh, you know, and, and, and allow them to stay in their homes and have just an amazing experience uh, that is very similar to the ones that they have in the work in the on in-person workshops. So as we've been developing the hmm. red blue, you know, as, as I mentioned, the highest stakes right. uh, that people have reacted so beautifully to the, the formats that we've developed. Um, they've said, actually, it, it works even better sometimes in, in certain ways than our in-person gatherings. So it's been really rewarding for me to work with a lot of uh, um, educational designers uh, to, uh, to bring these workshops to the online environment. We now have these hybrid workshops, which uh, start out with a, um, a really cool module, an e-learning module, uh, where you get, you get to see videos of, uh, of interactions and conversations and get to learn straight from Bill Doherty, who is the, uh, the, the genesis of a lot of uh, our workshops. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and then you get to join a Zoom meeting where you get to practice those skills that you just learned in the e-learning course. So it's, and that allows us to give us, give our participants more practice time because they're always aching for more uh, opportunities to to work on these skills you know it, it's the skills are are easy to uh to learn initially but they take some time to really internalize and be able to use them consistently so we think it's really important that people get plenty of opportunity to practice for those of you who've just joined us let me introduce my guest again randy leos director of online experience and director of the California program of Braver Angels. And I'm your new host to the, a new program, Digging Out. So I'd like to talk now about what we're learning, what it tells us, this public reaction to the announcement of Donald Trump's COVID positive test results and his subsequent care. The challenges this poses with how I saw the breaking news Thursday night Pacific time, and I noticed as on social media that there was disbelief there of, of every stripe all over the spectrum. And I thought that tells us a great deal about we don't know what the score is. We have no reliable way of knowing is this man, has he tested positive for COVID or not? And in a week that was full of breaking news, calamitous breaking news. So could you talk, Randy, to what that informs us about the, the kind of destabilized, um, the unreliable kind of absolute truths that we could be relying on at this point? Yeah, I think it is emblematic of just the general distrust that flows between the two political sides about the information that they're getting from the other side. But this direction was from the White House out, right? So it was, it was the direction was, what was the statement? And sort of it was kind of getting leaked out, like we heard about Hope Hicks, 
and but but that was leaked a, a scoop by the White House by a journalist. But and then we heard he said he's been tested, and then we got the test results. So there was this sort of very it's that direction that I'm saying is a very uh, concerning aspect of how can we have these discussions if we don't know the score in the sort of general way from the where the authorities position themselves. Does that make sense, Randy? It, it does. And, and, you know, as a progressive, as I've mentioned, you know, that is my political identity. It's something that uh, deeply concerns me. Um, but, you know, from my, my vantage point of, of braver angels, I have to recognize that there is just a general atmosphere of, of mistrust across the board. Um, you know, that there's, uh, of course, everyone on the, on the right doesn't really trust anything that the Biden campaign uh, puts out. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to draw that sense of equivalence. I understand that, that, um, that people criticize, uh, you know, rightfully so. If, if, um, if you try to draw a sense of equivalence between what the two sides are doing. Uh, but, but I think that the, the issue of eroded trust between, uh, between our two sides and, and our feeling that we can no longer agree on, on a common set of facts is there. Um, I actually tend to see this a little bit differently because uh, you know, people talk about how there used to be a trusted uh, central kind of narrator. Uh, they, they, of course, uh, talk, to, you know, talk about the time of, of Murrow and, uh, and Cronkite and, and say, we used to have, you know, just three channels and everybody was, was watching the same thing. You're too uh, young to say that, but you've heard <laughs> it. <laughs> um, and, and, and to some extent that's true. But I, I also think that the, the central narrative that we shared as a nation at that point was also a relatively narrow perspective. It was a perspective that was being uh, news that was being read by white men. And, uh, and in general, there is, are two edges to this sword of the diversity of, of the type of information that we have now, right? right. So we it was this, curated uh, back in the old days. Yeah, we, we have this atomized news environment where, where your news is perfectly customized to you. And, you know, if you didn't, uh, if you didn't uh, experience the, the negatives of, you know, of how this is impacting us, then you might say, oh, that's great. I can have just the news that I want and, and exactly the things that I'm interested in. But, you know, I remember when I was a kid that, that someone said, you know, when you read a newspaper, you should just read it cover to cover because if you, um, if you only read the articles that catch your attention, then you're not really gonna grow much as a person. And I think that that does really uh, speak to the the challenges that we uh, that we face when um, when we're really only being fed content that uh, that algorithms tell us are interesting to us, right? With that that agency is is actually no longer within our own grasp. Uh, that we are we are subject to the whims of uh, of social media and and uh, and larger media companies. Um, so so I think that that the general mistrust is. It's a really complex issue, um, and and I think that we all have to, you know, if we embrace the idea of intellectual humility, that that maybe my perspective is 
uh, you know, is just one of many, and it, and it happens to be quite narrow, then we will listen to some of the things that the, that the other side has to say and say, well, you know, maybe that makes a little bit more sense than I had made it out to be. So when I was preparing a bit for this interview and I was talking with someone about I was talking about my difficulty. I don't know if I could even participate in these dialogues that you're saying. I am not that, I, I, I express this, I'm not that big of an individual. I, I don't know if I can handle, because I've gotten close to some of those types of dialogues and I just, I could not stay in there in them. And so when this person I was sharing that with said, it takes a certain, he, and we need to understand the other person's humanity. That's how this person sort of read the charter for Braver Angels. And I thought, well, if it's about humanity, then what isn't humane about public health and COVID? Why, why is there a divide that way? And what, what do your dialogues inform you about how public health can be interpreted so differently? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, um, you know, I, I am always going to go back to my uh, progressive viewpoint on, on these things. And, and I, of course, get just as, as exasperated at the state of these conversations. I, I, you know, I think just as strongly that, um, that there are some things that are, that are obvious that, uh, that some people are, seem, seem to be looking past. But, but then I, I have been brought back to uh, ideas that I have thought are obviously false, and I might have been making uh, an incorrect conclusion because of the uh, the media universe that I live in. So I'm not saying that I am disavowing my progressive uh, viewpoint or that I uh, I feel less strongly that the Trump administration, for example, has not dealt with the the pandemic well and and has um, has done things that are harmful to the country, uh, but I also recognize that I've had blind spots and, and, and that, you know, I think one of the strongest lessons that I've learned through this pandemic is how we regard ourselves versus how we regard others based on the behavior that we notice within ourselves and others. And so, you know, at the beginning of this lockdown. You know, I was a really cautious person. I, I, my, my friend said, hey, do you want to come over and hang out? And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course not. And, mm -hmm. and now I exhibit behaviors that are less cautious because it's kind of the world in which we live that we, we can either, you know, shut ourselves off in, uh, sh shut ourselves in, in our, in our homes and only have contact via Zoom or phone or whatever, um, or we can take calculated risks. And I thought there was a really interesting article that I, I read uh, several months ago from a doctor who, I think this was in the New York Times, who discussed um, you know, the calculated risks that he himself was taking, uh, despite how acute he, he recognized those risks were, because he needed to still live his life. And, and as we've seen that, that shift of, you know, what is acceptable uh, in terms of a risk, uh, I think it, for me at least, it has helped me to understand 
some of the, the choices that other people have made that I have criticized. And, and now I find myself actually making some of those same choices, uh, yet I am not, not as critical of myself. Uh, so, but how do you treat the other, though? The other in terms of the public health, like, aren't you following the practices that are advised for physical distancing and all the other practices? You're still doing those, but you're just, but you're in more places than you were in early April. Is that fair I'm to say? Trying. I'm trying, and uh, and I'm still a human being who is subject to social pressures. So when my neighbors get together, and they're and, not all masked in the and, driveway. And nobody is wearing a mask. Um, have I made the decision to just leave? I have not. Uh, but, you're, but you're distanced from them, right? I'm you, you... trying my best to, yeah. to keep enough distance. And, and of course, I, I point out to my neighbors when I think that they're doing something uh, that is unsafe. Uh, but there's, but I, I think we have to recognize that there are limits to that behavior for everyone. And, and that even when, when I feel slightly uncomfortable, I'm not always able to speak up. I don't have the, I don't always have the, uh, the inter internal fortitude. I understand. I understand. I, but there's, there's that degree, that fine sort of um, person to person, moment to moment thing. But then there's this kind of, uh, and I, I encountered it once again today. And it was sort of, it was like to heck with the practices. They, they were in a setting where it was mandatory and they weren't having it. And, and they, it was, it was really, um, it, it was one of those clashes that you're talking about, but I, I what, yeah, it was, it was rough. Um, I, well, I want to bring in how much is brought up in the dialogues and workshops forms that you've facilitated and participated in the way in which Americans are consuming American history. Because as we, the further back we go, the, the more mythology there was about how it all began. And I'm, as a, at my age, I'm sad that there were some publications that were never available when I was in elementary school, high school, or even later. They, they came to me late in my life, but I want to know whether people, American history construct shows up and you can, you can start to see where some people are really boning up now. They're really learning things they've never learned before and they're rethinking everything. How does that enter into the dialogues? Yeah, I mean, people on both sides are emphasizing uh, education as, as something that they see is very important to our understanding, our shared understanding of our American history and heritage. Uh, but of course, you know, there's, there's, you know, various interpretations of history that are available. And, and, and we're not just talking about whether the Civil War was fought over slavery, right? We're, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, much more subtle interpretations of, uh, you know, of historical events that, that could, you know, based on the context of your time could, you know, could be viewed very differently. So um, it's, you know, the, this historical perspective, we're constantly reevaluating um, those perspectives. And, and yes, absolutely, in our workshops, people are, uh, are, you know, often bringing up 
the a, a new perspective that they just read uh, about you know how they should interpret a certain aspect of our American history and our, our American identity and our institutions uh, that are with us to this very moment. Absolutely, and 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 I've had uh, you know personally I've been having a lot of conversations about um, about racism and the history of our country, uh, and and particularly uh, of course because you know I largely agree with the perspective that my fellow progressives have, that the most substantive conversations that I'm having are now with people on the other side uh, about uh, things like critical race theory um, and, and the merits of that and, and whether, uh, you know, whether that sort of uh, construct serves us well or serves us ill. And I do you, Randy, that, I'm sorry, do you, do you call it critical race theory? Because I, I know of a political science faculty member. He, he in, teaches it, but he says he never calls it critical race theory. But do you call it that? Or you, you bring in the material? No, because well, it's, 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 it's no, packaging, I, I, right? Yeah, it is absolutely. A, it's a great question. And, and the, the reason why I mention it thusly is because the conversations that I have with progressives that term generally does not come up. But the conversations that I have with conservatives, it comes up all the time. And so it, it does go back to the, the issue where we establish these boogeymen on, on the other side. And we, we have these, short, uh, these shorthand words for an entire set of ideas that we ascribe mm, to right. people on the other side. And we don't necessarily dig deeper to understand what they really stand for and what they stand for uh, from the perspective of that other, other side. So, you know, the, <laughs> when, when I was talking to uh, some of my red friends about uh, the most recent debate and the president's unwillingness uh, to condemn white supremacy uh, broadly, you know, one of the aspects of the conversation was Chris Wallace, for example, uh, in asking the question, he said, are you willing to denounce white supremacy and right-wing militias? And that in and of itself uh, draws an equivalence between those two things. And, and that is making an assumption that people on the other side don't necessarily share. And, and that's one of the uh, one of the things when, when we're asking people to, uh, to craft questions of genuine interest from the other side, we say, uh, as I mentioned, it can't be, we don't want it to be a gotcha question. No, and a gotcha works. question has an assumption or an accusation based in, uh, based in it, right, at the core of it. And, and so when you ask a question, well, are you willing to denounce white supremacists and right-wing militias? Well, there's a lot of people who say, well, those militias are standing up for liberty and they see, uh, they see uh, a lot of um, vandalism happening within, uh, within these protests and they are afraid for their communities and they're standing up against that. And they, they explicitly, those militias explicitly denounce white supremacy. So it's certainly up to us whether we decide we believe that denunciation, but we at least, I think, have a duty to talk about and acknowledge that a lot of those groups have explicitly denounced white supremacy. So I, I think that's something that is missing in the conversation on the left in the same way 
that on the right, what's missing is the conversation about when they say, uh, will you denounce Antifa? Uh, and they say, and, and, and these um, authoritarian Marxist groups and, and anarchist groups and Antifa, and they, and they lump them together. And they're making the same kind of assumption that we are, that we would take issue with. So, so we, have to, we have to back up and say, are we going from the same assumptions? Are we going from the same uh, experiences and the same video clips online, right? Because it's showing us very different things. Right, and I'm, it's sort of a, a, an off-ramp anecdote, but I remember attending the rally in Santa Ana the night that, that Charlottesville, um, to, that the, the case, the right. Heather- Heather Heyer. When, uh, thank you. When Heather Heyer was killed by being run over by a car, that then there was a rally in Santa Ana the same night because we were on the West Coast after that occurred. And the organizers for that rally, I'm not sure if they were labeling themselves as a Black Lives Matter. No, they were. It was just a Charlottesville me measure there. I don't think there were Black Lives Matter members there. But so, but. The Antifa, there were Antifa-affiliated, uh, described individuals, and the organizers asked Antifa to go do their own parade. <laughs> and they were, or maybe they were a wanna, wannabe Antifas, and so they were a little disruptive in what was getting very intentionally done, direct, uh, what was being presented in the, that march in sympathy to, to Heather Heyer and, and the others that were protesting the Charlottesville rally. So it was, so that you're right, there's this getting lumped together though would take, that's the kind of nuance and the deep breathing that you all keep working at. Yeah, it, it rubs, it rubs people both, uh, it rubs people the wrong way on both sides. And, you know, once again, this is not drawing equivalence uh, between what's happening on each side, but also recognizing that we're all dealing with similar types of emotions, uh, you know, similar uh, defensiveness at our side being cast in a certain way. And, and, and I think when we recognize those emotions happening within ourselves, then we can have a little bit more empathy for the emotions that are happening on the other side based on the assumptions that we're making about them. So here, and as we draw down in our time together, Randy, uh, what would be a part of your parting shot? What can people expect to enlist in? How they can follow you at Braver Angels? Yeah, so I would definitely encourage people to go to braverangels.org. And uh, you can also add a slash online uh, to the end of that, um, that URL. And you'll, you'll get to the online workshops and debates that we are having on a regular basis. Um, and we would love for people's support. Obviously, you know, the work that we're doing right now, uh, so many people have, have said to me that it is just so vital uh, at this moment. And we recognize that we're in, we sit in this seat uh, of, of history that is, is mm. so central what this country needs. Um, you know, I'm, I don't want to uh, over aggrandize what we're doing and, and, and the impact, but, but the need is just so acute. And so, um, you know, love to have people support uh, to join us as an organization. It's, it's, uh, it's 12 bucks a year 
Okay, uh, that's part. I was wondering how some of this gets sustained. Okay. Yeah. There is so, a membership. Yes, we, we absolutely do, uh, you know, uh, want people's membership dues, um, but we really want people to be involved. And so view a, a, a debate or a workshop, uh, and, but make sure that when you're on our website that you go looking for a local alliance, because that's what's really powerful. Um, our ability to engage on the local level is just absolutely uh, so powerful because we can, uh, you know, it, it's a much smaller sea that we're swimming in uh, when we're trying to influence our local leaders and our local media. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's just really important that people engage on that level and uh, we would love them to join their local alliance. And if they don't have a local alliance, we would love them to contact their state coordinator and say, how can I get involved locally? It's just absolutely paramount. So is somebody keeping track of all this so social scientists can find out your secret sauce's uh, effectiveness? I mean, is this, is this data somewhere stashed so the social scientists can really make something of this? Yeah, so I'm actually uh, involved in collecting uh, our, our survey data, and we have definitely partnered with outside organizations to Good. study that data and you know, figure out what is the most effective way for us to, uh, to approach uh, these conversations and this mission. So yeah, it is ongoing. And as we grow, uh, right now we're uh, probably at about 12,000 members around the country, uh, but we, you know, we want to be hundreds of thousands of members. And, and once we get to uh, you know, a, a scale beyond where we are now, we'll, we'll have just incredible data to draw upon to, to understand you know, how this country, what direction that we're heading in and what are the best methods, what are the best techniques to help us to uh, begin to relate to one another again. Well, I'm going to have this program for the fall quarter at least. So I'm keeping open the book here for maybe there can be a two, three way discussion about what's going on with Brave Angels because it's essential work that we all could It'll help us get through well, digging out from underneath where we are right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Randy, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. As I'm going to establish as a ritual, as part of the show, I want to ask if you have a kind of a sound, a music that you'd like to go out on with this interview. Oh, we did a songwriting contest. The people wrote original songs. The winning song, in fact, was actually uh, submitted from L.A., from a, a songwriting duo in L.A., and it's a phenomenal song, and I would love to share it with you. Thank you, Randy, so much for your time. It's such earnest. It's such tough work. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Claudia, and I would love to come back anytime. Okay, thank you. We just heard from Randy Leos, Director of Online Experience and one of the state co-coordinators of Braver Angels of California. Thanks again. Thank you.